Hi, my name is Jenny and I'm going to bring the second reading tonight and it's from the book of Matthew uh, and I'm reading from chapter 27 starting at verse 1 through to verse 10. And in my Bible it's page 1041 or you can follow up on the screen. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests picked up the coins and said, It's against the law to put this into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it is called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. This is God's word. Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Bryce. I'm a student minister here at uh, St. Stephen's. And it's my privilege to open God's word with you. Uh, tonight's passage is pretty heavy, and we're exploring some heavy themes. And so let's pray to our God now for the help to understand them and the help to apply them to our lives. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to understand this passage. We pray for your Spirit's help to understand it and comprehend it. But more, Lord, we pray that you would help us to learn from it, to learn from the mistakes of Judas and the priests and to live uh, and to approach guilt the way uh, Christ would, the way you want us to. Father, if there are some of us tonight who are distracted for whatever reason, would you help uh, their hearts to calm so that they could focus on your word? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What do we do with our guilt? Let me tell you my guilt story. The year was 1999. I was in grade six. And I was in my library class. It had just ended. And we were lining up to go to lunch. And this incredible smell wafted through the room. It's that smell, it's that smell that's so uh, amazing that it tempts even the most self-controlled person, someone like me. It's that smell of fresh hot chips on a cold winter's day. And as we walked out of the library, every single boy started to pinch one. And my conscience immediately said, Bryce, don't do it, you'll regret it. But my stomach said, go for it, I'm starving. And my stomach won, I took the chip. Now, as, as ridiculous as it sounds, and it is in a way, for the next couple of days, I might as well have stolen a car. I felt absolutely terrible. My gut was in knots, 
My mind kept thinking about it and my heart was really weighed down with guilt. I felt like rubbish. What would you do with your guilt in that situation? I did the only thing I knew and that was going to confession. Our school priest, Father Slater, was running confession on Friday. So I figured, all right, I'd tell Father Slater my sin, I'd do what he tells me to do, and everything would be okay. So Friday comes around, I sit down, and I begin the process. Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. Tell me your sins, Bryce. Well, uh, I stole something. Okay, what did you steal? Uh, I stole a chip. There's an awkward pause. Okay, how many? Were they hot ones? Were they cold ones? Just one hot one. Very well. Two Hail Marys and three Our Fathers will be your penance. Think about that. I stole one chip and I got two Hail Marys and three Our Fathers as my works. Imagine if I'd stolen someone's lunch. What would that be? Ten Hail Marys, 30 Our Fathers? What if I'd stolen someone's Nintendo DS? What would that be? A hundred Hail Marys, 300 Our Fathers? What if I'd stolen a car? 1,000 Hail Marys, 3,000 Our Fathers? If we get a sense of how guilt-causing these things are, how much worse would it be, how much worse would it feel to betray the Son of God and to know that you sent him to his death? But back to the prayers. Is this really the way to deal with our guilt? Like, does it even work? I'm telling you from experience, it doesn't. And I suspect you know that as well. Just like my prayers, we see two other approaches to guilt that don't work. Judas's way and the priest's way. Judas was feeling guilty and remained guilty. The priests were denying guilt, but remained guilty too. Before exploring how they dealt with guilt, Let's get our bearings in this story. So read verse 1 again with me. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. So Jesus has been captured. The Jewish priests want him dead. They can't do it themselves, so they send him to the Roman governor. That's the plan. We get to verse 3, though, and the scene changes. Now we're focused on Judas, the one who's guilty but remains guilty. And we need to understand what's going on here. 30 silver coins was what Judas thought his friend was worth. But now the guilt's so overwhelming, he'd rather not have them. Not only did he betray his good friend, whom he lived with, ate with, travelled with, but he betrayed the Son of God. And this isn't how we thought it would go down. He probably thought Jesus would just bring the angels down and sort the whole mess out that he caused. But when he saw Jesus allow himself to be bound and carried away, he realised it had dawned on him. I've just sent the Son of God to his death, and that is my fault. So what did he do? He didn't pray two Hail Marys and three Our Fathers. Instead, he tries to return the bribe. Look at verse 3. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, 
He was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Imagine what that must feel like. A day or two ago, you sold God's son for four months' wages. And now you're watching the only perfect man in existence being condemned. You're watching the only one who loved you perfectly being sent like a lamb to the slaughter. And like a drunk man who's coming to his senses, the gravity of your actions hit you like a freight train. Judas was seized with remorse. Have you ever been seized with remorse? Have you ever been so guilty that your whole body froze up? Think back to the most guilty time in your whole life. How did you feel in that instance? Were you able to sleep? Were you able to eat? Were you able to think? And now imagine all of that amplified 10,000 times over. And that's Judas. Desperate for relief, he takes back the blood money and admits his crime to the priest. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. But look at the reaction of the priests. What is that to us, they reply. That's your responsibility. This is astonishing, don't you think? This, these supposed spiritual leaders were happy to bribe Judas into betraying their Messiah. They didn't seem to feel even the slightest bit of remorse for their actions. But when the middleman comes back because uh, he's, he's overcome with a guilty conscience, well, they just wipe their hands clean and let him suffer the consequences. And what are those consequences? A conscience so ridden with guilt that any sense of hope is now gone. I had this much of a taste of that when I was 12, and it was terrible. How much worse must it have felt to have betrayed the Son of God? It reminds me a little bit of those creatures in the Harry Potter series called Dementors. Whenever a Dementor approaches someone, it's like a, a, an evil spirit, I guess, Everything suddenly becomes dark. Any sense of joy, any sense of peace, any sense of hope begins to vanish. The temperature drops and fear rises. I wonder if that's what it feels like to betray the Son of God. But think about this. This man went to the high priest of Israel to seek forgiveness, but only condemnation was on offer. And perhaps the even greater tragedy is that Judas didn't turn to the true high priest, the priest who would have shown him life-giving grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so now, completely lost and hopeless, we read this in verse 5. Read it with me. So he threw the money into the temple and left. And he went away and he hanged himself. What a terrible end to the life of a man who'd walked so closely with God's Son until now. But let's not make any mistake. This man was guilty. This man never repented. And someone once said that this life is as good as it gets for the non-Christian. So if feeling like there's no hope in taking your life is as good as it got for Judas, how much worse must it have been on the other side when he died? 
Judas probably thought death would bring relief from the guilt that's plaguing him, but far from it. Imagine the terror. Imagine that what your heart would be feeling when you, if you were him and you found yourself in hell, in a place full of fiery sulfur, in a place of everlasting destruction, in a place of complete separation from God. What a horrible outcome. What a horrible end to someone who knew God's laws, who knew the scriptures, who knew Jesus more than we even do. So Judas was feeling guilty and he remained guilty. And it's clear that the way he went about dealing with guilt was wrong. But now we look at the priests and we see in the story that they went about it the wrong way too. They denied their guilt, but they weren't any less guilty than Judas. What do I mean by that? They were in denial. They thought God was pleased with them. They kept all the rules after all. But their rule keeping, it wasn't motivated by a heart that loves God and neighbour. Look at how they respond to Judas' desperate act to rid himself of guilt. Verse 6. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it's blood money. I mean, these men have just seen a man feel the weight of his sin and turn to them in desperation. And you know, in Micah 6, 8, it says that men like this, priests, are meant to love mercy. Instead of showing grace and mercy, they flick him away and say that's his issue. Instead of doing the work of a priest and helping a sinner to give a pleasing sacrifice to their God. They do what matters most to them. These false priests immediately check their mental rule book. Can we keep the money and keep the law? And so the priests find a solution, verse 7. They decide to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for the foreigners. So the money used to capture their king was used to bury people just like them. People who were not really God's people, people who remained guilty for the, their whole life. The place they created for the guilt was named in light of the 30 coins which changed history, the field of blood. You know, the coins that brought this field might as well have been like radioactive rocks because everyone who touched these things never survived. All shared the same terrible fate of eternal separation from God. So Douglas Sean O'Donnell sums it up well, and he says this, Sticking to the letter of their own law, they kill the spirit of God's law. The incredible thing is that all of this was ordained to happen. Look at how the scene ends in verse 9 with me. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. So in a twist of irony, the priest's lack of faithfulness to God's moral will leads to the fulfillment of God's prophetic will. You see, God worked through the plans of Judas and the priest to bring his own plans about. And so this is like a signpost for us. We're meant to learn and realise that this isn't some sad end to God's failed attempt at redeeming the world. You know, these events only happened because God allowed them to. Hundreds of years before these men were a breath, these things were already planned. But let's consider the gravity of the actions of the priests here. 
The very people who were meant to show mercy and pastoral care to Judas showed nothing but heartless judgment and condemnation. The priest would have been thinking, we're getting rid of the false messiah. Sure, we made Judas sin, but the end justifies the means. He chose to do the wrong thing after all. That's his problem. He's made his own bed. But all they were doing was denying their guilt. They were pointing the finger, but ignoring and not seeing their own guilt. What's worse than going before God knowing you're guilty is going before God denying your guilt. I mean, just imagine you're a priest and you die and you come before God and you're thinking, I've kept the laws of Moses and, God's, I, and I can't wait for God to reward me. But what does God do? In the end, there's no fooling God. The priests were denying their guilt and remained guilty. And so we see in this story people who are guilty. One was feeling guilty and remained guilty. Others denied their guilt but remained guilty too. And it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder whether this is still the case today. Are we we guilty before God like Judas and the priests? So let's reflect on this for our lives. How are we like Judas today? And I suspect some of us feel guilt from time to time. I know I do. When we're rude to our parents, we get a bit guilty. When we're lazy and we see our parents or our housemates doing the vacuuming, we feel a bit guilty. When we're angry and we give that old woman a nasty look as we drive past her on the Eastern Freeway, we feel a bit guilty. But I suspect for some of us, there's a deeper guilt that we experience. And it's a guilt that we don't always process, that we don't always deal with. Some of us might have said something once that that was cutting, so much so that it had an incredibly terrible effect on a loved one. They aren't the same because of what we've said. Their sense of uh, feeling loved has disappeared. Their confidence of God, their confidence, sorry, has gone. And deep down, we feel like rubbish now because we know that we were the ones that caused it. Or maybe some of us have broken a friendship or a relationship never to speak to that person again. Maybe we were the only good friend that person had. Cutting that connection has had a lasting impact and they've suffered a lot because of our rejection. And now that guilt is simmering away every day in our life. Or maybe some of us have had sex outside of marriage and we deeply wish we hadn't because there are days where the guilt is unbearable. The reality is that the guilt we feel in such situations is compounded by the fact that in sinning against others, we've sinned against God. So what should we do then? Do we avoid doing anything? That's no solution. Do we, do we go to a priest begging for forgiveness? That's no solution either. Do we end our life? I hope you can see that the way Judas went about guilt just doesn't work. And I hope you can also see that though we're not Judas, it's very easy for us to be like him. But perhaps the other trap we fall into is dealing with our guilt the way the priest did. Perhaps some of us don't really feel guilt like Judas did. No, we're more like the priest, the one who is adamant that they are actually sinless, that they're in the right. Let me illustrate this way. Imagine the priest were a man, and the man visits a doctor because he feels 
tired all the time. And he's told he has cancer. He thinks, what would the doctor know? I'm okay, I'm just overworked. That's why I feel tired. So the man takes a holiday thinking that will fix the tiredness. Still no change. So he figures he's just getting old, so he cuts back to part-time. It still gets worse. So he retires early, he books a cruise, never to return. Because one weekend he died. Complete denial to the end. That's what the priest did. What a terrible response to guilt. And this is what the priest did. And it's so easy to look at them and think, what a pack of morons. How could they be so hypocritical and not see their own sin? But the reality is we're more like the priest than we realize. I suspect some of us, and I I think I fall in this category in the past, some of us have damaged friendships because we've insisted that our theology is correct and theirs isn't. And the trouble is that we feel justified in doing that. Some of us might make an idol of school or uni or work. And we justify it by thinking, well, this is a noble thing and this will do great good for society, so it's okay. Or maybe we do the opposite and we actually don't put in when it comes to our study or our training or our work and we justify it by thinking that, no, we want to honour God by having more balance in life. You see, the problem is the same. And the problem is that we're ignoring the fact that we have sinned or are sinning in some way and therefore we're guilty. This is no solution. But maybe we're tempted by other approaches. What are some of the other ways that people deal with guilt? We can pray set prayers like uh, I did to Mary. That doesn't work. Mary can't forgive us. We could try ignoring it or, or, or masking the pain of guilt through addiction, like gaming or gambling or drugs or alcohol or porn. But at the end, they'll just add more and more to the guilt. We could go on a TV show like Oprah and confess our problems before an audience. But Oprah can't deal with our guilt. Or maybe we could go to India and spend the rest of our days caring for the poor in the slums. But even that wouldn't cover it. Because after all, how would we ever know that we've done enough good to cover our guilt before God? I hope it's clear that like Judas and the priests, we are guilty. And we are guilty before God. And oftentimes we approached sin the way or guilt the way they did. And so that's no solution. So how can we deal with our guilt? And there really is just one way. And that solution is found at that the cross. That Jesus who betrayed was betrayed for thirty silver coins, he allowed himself to be done for you and me. He allowed himself to be falsely accused and trialed for you and me. He allowed himself to be hung on a cross to die for you and me. And he allowed himself to take the guilt of many for you and me. And he achieved it by absorbing the righteous wrath of God for you and me. This, friends, is what makes it possible for our guilt to be dealt with. For as our passage says, innocent blood was betrayed and that innocent blood is what washes away our guilt. It's that blood only that gives us the freedom that we desire from the guilt that we have. You know, I shared earlier how my approach uh, when I was a child was through praying my way back to God. Doing deeds was what I did. But when I was 19, something radically happened. Something radically different happened. God drew me to the cross. And this is what happened. At the cross, my sin 
was dealt with. At the cross, my guilt was washed away. And at the cross, my heart was relieved. And yours can be too. Friends, we have guilt before God to deal with. Let's not make the mistakes of Judas and the priests. As we go out this week, let's start before the cross of Christ, where grace and mercy and peace are found. Let's pray before him now.